absolutely ridiculous. Hello everyone, welcome to Around the Course Squash Podcast. Squash, Squash is back. I'm buzzing for this week, that's for sure. Six months <laughs> yeah. since I watched a professional squash tournament and we're finally back, so can't wait. Your emotional scale looks like it's gone up. It's, it's heading towards the seven, that's for sure. Yeah, we got plenty of sports on the TV, squash coming back. It's a good time of the year. Yeah. My favourite... Favorite sporting event, Tour de France is running. We've got squad. I mean, I don't actually know how I'm going to keep on top of both of them this week, but I'm going to try my damn hard, try my damn hardest to <laughs> to make sure I watch as much as possible. <laughs> well, you can you can multi-screen, right? You got your laptop, you got your TV in the background with the Tour de France. You know, happy days, man. Yeah, absolutely. Tour de France was a brutal one yesterday. It if was, yeah. Big names cracking. Yeah, one of the things I've been watching it with a view to is how it how guys are returning and obviously how it's affected people's form and training. I think that's going to be similar with the squash, seeing how people respond to coming back on tour and what sort of training they've been able to do. So, yeah, you see it in the tennis with the US Open as well. So it could be quite interesting. That was one of the things they were mentioning last night is how you know, everyone was so back and forth on whether the U.S. Open tennis should happen just because of, uh, you know, people, different people having different training and stuff. And then they said after watching uh, the women's and, and last night after the men's final, they were like, this match really, really, you know, showed everyone that it was the right decision to host the tournament. I mean, team and Zverev was, that was electric, this set, just absolutely electric. Yeah, it was unbelievable. I don't think everyone was saying that last week when Djokovic clocked the lineswoman in the throat, though. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> right on the Adam's apple. What a shot. He wasn't even looking. Probably shouldn't, probably shouldn't say this, but it couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I kind of like Djokovic. But hey. Talk about your all-time backfire. <laughs> Straight in the throat. So, so the players are entering the bubble in the next 24 hours, if not already, some of them who have traveled from a little bit further afar. How do you, how do you reckon you guys are doing the bubble? In a bubble? In a bubble. Um, of just yourself. Yeah, I think, I think like in a bubble like what the NBA and NHL have set up where, you know, you're all together and there's big, you know, communal eating and you kind of hang out. I think I'd be per- I think I'd love it. I think it'd be yeah. perfectly fine. Play some video games, hang out. But um, yeah, from what from what uh, Daniela Turno explained to me, um, what she thinks the Manchester Open is going to look like, like you can't hang out with your friends, you can't hang out with your spouse, you're no practice, uh, no practice partners, you're just you know totally isolated. Uh, I, I'd lose my mind, absolutely could, lose my mind. Could be a good time to start listening to podcasts. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> perfect time. Yeah. <laughs> See, I think it would be the opposite. I can't think of anything better than having an excuse to not hang out with people. And I mean, can't hang out with friends. That's that's not a problem if you don't have any. <laughs> <laughs> you can still podcast. Yep. Just just me hanging out with my favorite person in the world, myself. <laughs> Tour de France on in the background. It's actually a good week to start isolating. Exactly. Uh, or being in a bubble away from everyone else. Yeah. Great job, PSA. Perfect week to bring us back. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think I, I think I'd do all right for the first day or two but I think 
as time wore on. But luckily, I wouldn't make it past the first or second round anyway. So actually, I'd be fine then. <laughs> uh, and uh, looking at the draws, there's been a few updates, Stuart. Yeah, there has. Just today, as we're recording this on Monday, two days before we start, um, there's actually been three players pulled out of the men's draw. We we don't actually know if it's coronavirus related, but my suspicion would be that um, knowing that they were all subject to testing, then I would suspect that's probably a factor in at least a couple of them. So we've lost Miguel Rodriguez, um, Diego Elias, and also Gregory Gauthier. Now, we obviously know that Gauthier is not injured because he just played at the weekend and won a tournament in Prague, beating Kandra in the final. So seemed to be in great form, won that final pretty convincingly, to be honest. Um, five, so five, that, five. Yeah. I mean, I think the match time was 50-odd minutes, so yeah, probably some tough rallies in there. But, yeah, it certainly seemed like he was on form and would have benefited from those matches. But then just 24 hours later, it's announced that he's he's out. And like I say, I can only assume that he's possibly been tested. Or I think the players maybe even had to get a test before they travelled and maybe didn't get that done or didn't get the results back in time. So... Not quite sure the exact reasons, but yeah, there's a um, few changes to the draw. Three new English players and Richie Fallows, Nathan Lake and George Parker have all come into the, the draw to replace those three. Um, and a few off, uh, reshuffles with the seeds as well. Got it. I kind of thought Galtier would have been in great shape, having played a few matches. He's probably a bit more relaxed and he's got you know four wins and feeling pretty good on going in there. I, I actually would have had him down in my head as my outside bet to make the final. Well, just in terms of the draw, he he was due to play Diego in the second round, which would have been a brilliant match to watch. And we know from sort of inside sources, i.e. JP, and also Chris's brother, that uh, Diego went across to Prague a couple of weeks ago, I think, and has been living and training with Greg. So again, that possibly indicates that if they're living together and they're both withdrawn and if one of them got coronavirus then chances are the other one did so again that ties in with that theory yeah. such a shame we've all been so desperate to see him back on tour at his best for over two years now it feels um, probably not got that many years left at his, his peak um, so yeah the more opportunities we get to see him the better yeah it's a tough one and I think uh, yeah just judging from uh you know, seeing some some stories and stuff on Instagram from uh, Greg and Diego, I think they were, yeah, basically, if not living in, under the same roof, they were together all day, every day. So, um, yeah, I mean, the other thing, I've, I've heard of enough, you know, false positives and things of that nature that, like, you know, you just hope it wouldn't be something goofy like that, like a, a false positive or something that would um, – you know, keep someone from playing in this, but it it's happened quite a bit. It's funny you say that. I think the cyclists are doing like two tests uh, based on a false positive that happened to some American cyclist who's on the EF team EF. He wasn't going to Tour de France, but he's going to Giro d'Italia. And so what they started doing in the cycling is they take two tests. And if you, if you fail one of them, they'll test the other one. So I wonder if maybe squash could, well, not squash, but I wonder if any sports have, have taken note from that. I keep saying my connection is unstable, but a bit like yourself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's just showing off his crib. Yeah, 
<laughs> I counted the number of rooms in this place. There are 17 different rooms. <laughs> I have, I have um, two, and I'm working from home with my wife. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, so, yeah, I think the cyclist that you're talking about was Larry Warbass. Um, I wasn't actually aware that they got two tests done at the same time. My understanding was that they got one test, and if it came back negative, they got a second test done just to confirm it after that. I'm not 100% sure on that. Mm, it's a good chance you're probably right, though. Yeah. Just on the, <laughs> and your comment, Chris, about the false positives, um, it probably, with Greg and Diego, wouldn't make sense that the, the chances of them coming up as two false positives when they've been living together seems quite a big coincidence to me. So Yeah, um, hopefully. It hopefully hopefully it, was, it was something uh, something around their travel or something that uh, – that got messed up or something around their tests not being done in time and not hopefully those two don't have it. What, uh, what are the big, what are the big ones to look forward to now after the reshuffle? Oh yeah. Just looking at the draws, a sort of pick of the first round for me would probably be on the men's side. Um, you've got Tarek Momin playing Abdullah Al-Tamimi who don't know if you remember back at the World Championships that Tarek actually won. He had an epic match with Abdullah in, I want to say, the last 16, um, where he was 2-1 down and almost went out of the tournament and then obviously went on and won it to become world champion. Um, and then the other match that stands out for me on the men's side in the first round would be Rosner against Castagne. I think that could be another really close, tough match for both of them. Uh, on the women's side... Um, Camille Serm, who's number one seed, playing Sabrina Sobe, who has had a great season, especially on the Challenger Tour, where she's won a number of events and also showed in some of the bigger events that she's a real threat and definitely playing higher than her ranking would suggest. Um, and then another match that caught my eye in the first round was Colleen Omar from France playing Hannah Ramadan from Egypt, and the reason I was interested in that is because I know they both went to university in the UK together at the University of Nottingham. So it's just two, two presumably training partners and people that have spent a few years training together, uh, playing each other in a big tournament. One other game on the men's side I'm quite interested in is Paul Cole against Baptiste Misout. Misotti? Misotti. 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 Uh, he's he's a serious. I know Paul's obviously one of the best players in the world, and you tipped him earlier on that he could probably be the man to to watch out for in this next few period, as he's certainly not come back and his fitness is not going to be affected. But this Baptiste is a serious operator. Do you know him, Chris? No, I don't. I I, I think I have watched him a, a couple times, but uh, I'll, I'll have to keep my eye on him in that one and get to get to know him. Love seen him play. Barth. Arthur says he's a serious operator. He must be a serious operator. Oh, he's very... I've seen him play a few <laughs> times. Um, and I think it was in the nonce tournament last year. He, he hit some outrageous shots, including one perfect length that he hit through his legs for almost no reason. I mean, <laughs> just sort of decided that I'm going to hit this through my legs in the back of the court and then hit a perfect cross court that caught the neck. Um. So, yeah, I still think Paul will have a lot. I was going to say a bit too much for him, probably quite a, quite a bit too much for him. Um, but, yeah, he's certainly someone that uh, could cause some upsets in the next year or two. Yeah, I think you're probably right. 
but I do think there's for me. I just I don't know something something about Baptiste. So so who do you guys who do you guys like to uh, to get deep in the in the men's and women's draws? I can start. I like uh, I think I like the top two seeds on the men's side getting all the way with uh, Sherbaggy. So and boring. Muhammad and Ali. Oh yeah. Just saying. Just saying. <laughs> Playing it safe. Are, no. you, are you picking that or hoping for that? Or I've both? got I've got Ali I've got Ali winning. Just going with it. Um, yeah, I think and I think Paul I think Paul will get through up top as well. I have a feeling. Um, and on the bottom, a little more open. It's kind of hard to bet against uh, bet against Guad. It'll be interesting to see how how the college guy how Victor uh, Cruin will do. Looks like he's been training hard. Um, you know, we got, got some people, uh, giving us updates, including deck James, hopefully this week. So that'll be a good one to watch first round. Yeah. I got a call. Were you calling semis and final or just finalists? Either or I got, I got Ali beating, uh, Muhammad in the final. Uh, I'm going to call, I'm going to go bold move. I'm going to say a Marwan and Gawad final. Wow. Yeah. Just, I can see Gawad is probably the type of fella who could not pick up a racket for a couple of years and just almost pick up exactly where he left off. And as long as he's kept himself in reasonable shape, he's a pretty smart guy. He's very relaxed on the court. He's, I, I can see Kawad doing well. And I think Marwan, he had a nice bit of momentum the end of the, uh, before the, before COVID. I can't remember when that was, but I can just see, I can see Marwan doing some damage. It's a bold pick, Arthur. Ah. Is that your final prediction, or that's yeah? I think that's my final prediction. <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to say with 100 percent certainty. Oh, shut the Don't say that. You know what? They're going to get to the final of the bottom half of the draw. Oh, okay. So you're going to pick the semifinals now? Huh? <laughs> yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah, by who's, who's going to be in the top half final? <laughs> also known as the semi. Sugar. <laughs> it's the same draw. Oh man, I don't know. I think. Uh, I would have really, I would have said Diego or, and, and Shabagi Mohammed, but I guess I'll just, I'll stick with Mohammed. Can we least. just go back a sec? You're going to say you would have said Diego, even though you thought Gote would have done well, but they were playing each other in the second round. I, yeah, do you know, I haven't studied the draw at great length. I'm just seeing names here and I'm just thinking, these are the guys I think you're going to do well. You're right. Honestly, this is the best policy, so I appreciate that. Yeah, no worries, no worries. I should have done me homework. That's what the teachers used to always tell me. And sure, <laughs> look at us now, huh? <laughs> uh, I'll go Shabagi, uh, Mohammed as well, and Paul Cole. So yeah, your your pick. big your big pick is um, Marwan over Ali, if they both make it. Yeah, I think yeah. so. And I think if if we're going to make a prediction for the win, I'm going to say Gawad, all out win. Good. Uh, well, I, the first thing I usually do in these tournaments is just look at look at who might upset the, the top four because I think they are fairly well established now as the the best in the game, um, the four Egyptians. Uh, in terms of who has the toughest draw, I think Tarek's draw stands out for me as being pretty brutal. So not only, as we've said, has he got Abdullah Al-Tamimi in the first round, which could potentially be a tricky match. He then plays Mohamed Abu Elgar, uh, in the second round, potentially, which is probably certainly on seeding, he's the number nine seed, so that's the toughest draw he could have got. Um, he then would play Paul Call against Faris Suki, the winner of that match, which again is another brutal match. So 
that little section, that quarter of the draw, to me, is by far the toughest quarter in the whole thing. Um, so whoever comes through that would then have to play potentially Shabagi in the semi-finals. So uh, I'm struggling to see how anyone will come through that and then still have enough left in the tank to beat Shabagi in the semis. So I'm going to pick Shabagi making the final. And yeah, I don't... I think Marwan could give Ali some problems, but I would probably back Ali on that. Although I do think Marwan's going to have a pretty good season. I think he obviously had some difficulties a year ago, and I think towards the end of the period before lockdown, he started to show that he's come back into form and was going to start troubling those guys again. So um, I think he'll be a threat at some point in the next few months, but I still would go with Gawad and Farag and think I would probably side with Farag. So I'm going to be just as boring and go for the top two seeds as well. Who's winning? I think Farag, actually. I just think that those two, in terms of their rivalry, go back and forward quite a lot. It seems like a bit like we were talking about with JP last week and his rivalry with Peter Nicol, where one of them would get on top for a few matches and then the other one would go away and work on certain things and come back. I think Ali and Shabagi's rivalry seems to be of a similar nature. Um, and obviously the last tournament before lockdown was Canary Wharf, where they played a brilliant match, but Shabagi just got the edge. But I'm going to back Farag to come back and get one over on. And then looking at the women's draw, what do we think? I like the, I like the couple coming through. So I got, I'm going to take Altayeb. Yep. Altayeb taking it all. And I'll give you another reason why, another COVID prediction here. Everyone's a little bit sensitive about opening up their pod, opening up their, their bubble partners too much. So who's she going to train with the most? Husband Allie. She's got that, she's got that husband training going. Um, I think she's going to be sharp. And then, yeah, I mean, I, haven't, I didn't get to see Sabrina play a ton, but you know, you have to, have to think, uh, we've been talking about it for a while, how we think Serm's going to, going to need to take advantage of these uh these events here especially without Shabini and Gohar so got to think she's going to make it through um and yeah I think I see Hania coming through on that top side I'm going to take Serm getting to the final and the bottom is a little trickier for me but um yeah I mean I think Sobi's going to give give uh give Nora a run for sure I'm not sure who's going to be on that other top side Maybe Tesney, go with Tesney since she's going to uh, going to send us some updates each day. I think that's going to give her a little around the court around the court boost. <laughs> I agree with Nor. I can see Nor Nor going all the way to the final. She would be my pick for the the tournament. I'm intrigued with the top half of the draw, though. I think Camille. She's a really tough first round. I think there's benefits to that where it engages her mentally straight away, where she feels threatened. I would call her to come through that, but I wouldn't be shocked if Sabrina caused an upset. But I'm really intrigued that if both Joel and Camille get through to play each other in the quarters, that's a match that really intrigues me. Two players who've been up there knocking on the door in the top, you know, three or four, they've both won major events. And I would say they both realise that if they hit a good purple patch over these next few weeks, few months, they could get to world number one. 
which is something I'm sure is on both their radars. Yeah, I think you're spot on about the quarterfinals for me is when the women's draw gets really interesting and there's some great potential matchups there. Um, Camille against Joelle is definitely one of them. Joelle's also the reigning uh, holder of this event from last year um, when she she beat Tesney in the final after Tesney had beaten Altaev in the semi. Um, so that's a great match. Amanda against Taeb, again, another great match going all the way back to their World Junior final and their rivalry over sort of 10 years now. Uh, Sarah Jane Perry is another person who I think could have a good season. She's up against Tesney, who's had a lot of success in Manchester and we'll hopefully be hearing from her as much as possible throughout the week. So uh, I see that being a really tight match. Uh, probably the easiest of the four quarterfinals for the top four seeds would be Hanya playing Salma Hani, but Salma Hani is another person who on her day can be absolutely devastating. I remember seeing her play at the TOC maybe three years ago when she took out Laura Massaro. So, um, yeah, certainly not someone to underestimate. But I think, again, it's, it's going to be very open, um, much like the, the tennis and the other sports that we've spoken about. It's, a lot of it's going to come down to who's prepared the best, who's had the, the best training and most un- uninterrupted period, especially over the last month, I think. That's going to be crucial. I know... Uh, for example, that Camille Serm has been doing like an exhibition tour around France. So she'll have some matches under her belt, which may help her. But yeah, I think there's going to be some great matches. Let's go. <laughs> so we, we, we hinted at it, but do you want to um, give, the, give the people a little bit more of a formal introduction to, to what we've got going on this week? And, and hopefully we, we bring even more than this, but... Um, we, we have a short interview with Danielle Letourneau talking about that I did with, uh, with Danielle talking about training in Egypt leading into these events and kind of what, what that's been like, why she made the move and, and um, you know, the reason why she, she, she felt Egypt was the, the place I was going to take her to the next level. So she's a, a Canadian friend. Uh, I was good friends with her brother. Shout out Dave. And um Danielle was a was a rock star at Cornell, um, just uh, re- the four years after I left. Um, I'm pretty so sure you're to have her. talking Dave at some point in a previous episode, right? Uh, yeah, you gotta, you gotta. <laughs> yeah. just, just checking. <laughs> yeah, we we also got some uh, audio diaries to look forward to, as you guys have sort of said as well. Like with between Tesney and Declan James. There's going to be daily updates, hopefully, or every other day, and what's been going on, what life is like in the Boubile. They're the only two confirmed at the moment, but we are hoping to sign up another couple of audio diarists, so to speak. Um, if not, then we're hoping PSA will set us up with some standalone interviews. But, yeah, if, if Tesney and Deck could make the final and give us content throughout the, the week, that would be absolutely perfect on our end. So good luck, guys. Yeah, and thanks a million for agreeing to do it. It's awesome. It- It'd be hard to turn down an interview in the future if, uh, if, if, you know, everyone who's coming on the podcast all of a sudden is just <laughs> jumping world ranking spots left and right. <laughs> Bonus points. All right, well, let's have a listen to what, uh, what Danielle had to say. I'm really intrigued to hear about her move to Egypt and how it's gone. Perfect. Okay. Around the Cork podcast wants to welcome Danielle Letourneau, Canadian national champ in 2018, 
current world number 32. Um, Danielle is a Pan Am silver medalist in the doubles and team event from the most recent Pan Am Games. And she's a fellow Cornell Big Red who was a four-time All-American and All-Ivy uh, at Cornell just after, just after I departed. Um, but Danielle, thanks for coming on. Uh, really thanks. excited to have you leading up uh, to you know, the return to squash. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Awesome. So we kind of wanted to dig into the Manchester Open, but um, before we get there, how, how has your move to Egypt been? Um, you were back home in Calgary, Alberta, right? Uh, when, when kind of the quarantine hit and you spent some time there. And when did you move to Egypt? And maybe walk us through a little bit, you know, what made, what made Egypt the place uh, and, and what's it been like? Okay. Um, so originally I was playing the two 20Ks in Calgary and the one in Regina. And so I finished those events and then I finished on the Sunday, drove home and was supposed to actually fly to Egypt on the Tuesday. And the whole time during the Regina tournament, I was trying to ignore the fact COVID was happening. Um, like Olivia Victor had to fly home early. So did Haley Mendez. And um, so I was just trying to pretend it wasn't going to happen and then second I got home my mom said you're not catching that flight you're not going to Egypt <laughs> um so yeah the plans were you know disrupted I stayed at home for um up until early July and then I I was hearing rumors that you know maybe tournaments would come back on and it felt like wishful thinking but I figured now that courts had started opening over there and even though I had court access in Calgary um I figured I might as well take advantage of, you know, the time and the opportunity because my original plan was to go to Egypt and stay there um, until June, take a month off and then go back for summer training. So um, I mainly started thinking about going to Egypt around um, October last year, right before the pyramids. So I went to play the tournament early um, and train a bit before the event and then ended up staying kind of on a whim uh, for two more months. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, uh, I was supposed to go and play PSL in England, but uh, for visa issues, I couldn't actually go. Um, so I figured I might as well, you know, stay and make the most of it. And then Hong Kong got canceled. So just kind of kept going and only went home for Christmas. Okay. Uh, so, so was England an, originally another spot you were considering spending some time and, and getting some league and getting some training there? Yeah, well, I spent a little bit of time there, um, I guess about a year ago before, between um, Manchester and British Open. So I went and trained for about 10 days with Nick Matthew. Um, and I also trained with him a bit while I was coaching some camps in the States. And I really enjoyed it. It was, um, I learned a lot from him and um, and thought it was great, but I also felt like it wasn't quite the right fit for me. Mm-hmm. Um, not really sure why. Just it just wasn't. Um, I think maybe it was more more drill condition focused. And I I really like playing games. And uh, you know, in Egypt, you're playing practice matches most nights, maybe condition games, but you're you're always competing and you're applying what you're learning in the morning and then 
at night in a competitive kind of more setting. Um, so I, I enjoyed that a little bit more. Um, nice. Yeah. We, we, we just, just had Jonathan power on this past week and, you know, one of the things I asked him was, uh, and we've, I'd talked to him about it a bunch before was that, you know, a lot of Canadians haven't been willing to make that jump to go to the next place where there is really strong competition. And he, he bounced around a lot when he was young, like very young. Um, and he just said it was simply for the fact that he needed to find the next group of people that, that were better than him and try and get to that level and beyond. Um, and, and so, you, you know, I know you have a really nice team in Calgary uh, and, and obviously a great setup in Canada, but it is cool to, you know, see you make that jump. And yeah, so, you know, what about Egypt is, is suiting your, you know, your game and the way you approach it and, and what's that training and coaching styles been like in comparison to, you know, the maybe Canadian or Egyptian or uh, Canadian or English style models. Okay. Well, I guess compared to Canada, I find there's a lot more structure here. Um, most people are on a very similar schedule. You might do drills with your coach or um, solo fitness, whatever it is in the morning. And then at night, you're going to be playing against a bunch of other, you know, players. And um, there's a wider range of styles and also more women. And um, I'd say the coaching is it's a bit more hands-on um like I'll work with my coach in the morning but then he will watch me play matches and so he's giving me feedback regularly not just on court and drills where maybe I am drilling so well but then I go to a match and it breaks down and so because there's a bit more consistent feedback um I find it's it's helped me improve a bit quicker and then um, I had an idea in my head. Uh, <laughs> I also think that because you're getting coaching between games, I'm able to pick up um, on some of my mistakes a bit quicker um, than what I was doing before. And compared to home, it, it helps that everyone's on the same schedule. So trying to organize matches and just trying to organize hits is a bit easier because if I'm at home, there's, there are a lot of great people to play with. But most people are working during the day or at night. They have leagues, they have families. So trying to, you know, get consistent routine is, is a bit tougher. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it seems it definitely seems like um, in Egypt and, and there are probably some other places, too, where, you know, like professional squash or people trying to make it to the professional level is, is a very big deal where it does sometimes feel like in North America that it's dominated by like just like the overall program right the junior program the adult leagues and and it's cool it seems like in Egypt you know like high like you're treated very well if you're a high level squash player and you get some priority and you get the coaching and um and a little bit just yeah that extra focus right which which extra attention makes a huge deal yeah and a bit more it's even through juniors you can tell that it's just you know hyper competitive the whole way through so you know, either you're going to be good and get the attention or it's, it's less of a, you know, it's not as, it's still very friendly. Everyone's very friendly and in all that way, but it's not as, you know, tailored to everyone. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, and just from watching your game over the last few years, uh, or, you know, more at this point, but um, especially since you've kind of been on the tour and um, watching you play in the Nationals and stuff, you know, I really noticed how you, you do like to move the ball around a lot. You like to take the ball in. Um, so, like, does that part of, of how you like to play – has, has it suited your game well being in Egypt where it does seem like, you know, like att- attacking squash is the, is part of the brand? Yeah, definitely. Like it's always, you know, setting up opportunities to attack and yeah. rather than just like weathering the storm. I mean, you have to do it both, but I do like the attacking style for sure. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so how, how are you feeling headed into Manchester? You know, it sounds like you've been getting the, getting the matches and getting the fitness and, uh, how are you feeling from a, you know, from, from your game's point of view? I'm uh, very confident, actually. I've been, you know, improving a lot, working on a lot of things, but grooving them. So I'm, I'm pretty confident in, in the work I've done and um, been working a lot on the mental aspect too. So just excited to, you know, play. Um, and I think it's more just managing, you know, the mental side with all the, uncertainty around the event and changes but you know going in with a plan um both squash wise and you know day wise what am I going to do how am I going to prepare um yeah feeling feeling good excited very excited to play awesome yeah and how how do you think some of these COVID protocols and obviously going to be a very different atmosphere from like a you know a tournament of champions with a filled Grand Central Station but like how, how do you think those protocols and that different atmosphere are going to play a role in, you know, the ability to, to get excited? I think, you know, you haven't, there hasn't been any competitive tournaments in a while. So I feel like people being excited about competing won't be an issue, but do you think that atmosphere is going to, you know, play, play much of a role or. Um, I feel like there'll be moments, you know, if you, let's say 10 all in a game and, hit a sweet shot and there's no cheering like oh well. <laughs> yeah but I, I think everyone will be pretty motivated with like within themselves and I will all miss the crowd for sure and yeah. having people there supporting us or whatnot but I also see it as you know having less distraction true you're just playing the game you don't have to worry about anything else really and and you you know I, I you seem like uh there's you have a good group of of other ladies on on the tour that you guys spend a lot of time together you mentioned before we uh started recording that like it very very um they're going to be very focused on keeping you guys apart and uh you know not coaching each other and and not hanging out together so pretty much like you're 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 all alone until um until you step on court with your opponent and then and then you go right back into that kind of uh you know right back into that solitary confinement hotel is that is that what it's shaping up to look like it's it's the vibe i'm getting from (laughs) emails yeah um so it's not quite like you know you know the nba bubble where once you're in the bubble you can hang out with everyone they're they're still trying to keep keep people pretty distant yeah I think it's just because it's, you know, it's the first tournament and no one wants to take any risks. So, you know, I understand where it's coming from, but it will be interesting to see um, how everyone deals with the isolation. Because, I mean, for me in tournaments, I I tend to like being alone actually quite a bit. I find I I do better. We'll see how this is. This is maybe a bit too much alone. (laughs) But but then I know there's other people who 
you know, thrive on being around people and socializing and um, during events. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, good. Um, I wonder, have you been watching any of the U.S. Open or any of the other sports, how they have the, the, fake, uh, the fake fan noise when, when someone hits a good shot? I wonder, uh, I wonder if the PSA needs someone. I can, I can do it remotely. I can be, uh, you know, maybe have me clapping in the background over a live, a live mic or something. You should offer your services, I'm sure. <laughs> I will. I will. We're, we're... So you know, some <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'll sit. I'll be the only person in the crowd, but maybe they'll just make my, my clapping louder to amplify. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that's awesome. Well, you know, we're all three of us are super excited to watch and, and get squash back going and have something to, uh, you know, have something to talk about on the, on the show other than just, you know, making cracking, cracking wise jokes all day. But, um, you know, really who, who do you have first round? I'm playing Nadine Shaheen. Awesome. I actually train with her quite a bit here. <laughs> nice. Nice. Um, well, good luck. Thanks for coming on and, uh, we'll be, we'll be following along. Sounds great. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Danielle, thanks a million for coming on the show and for speaking with us and speaking with Chris. Uh, very best of luck this week in your first tournament back. And the same applies to everyone else, including our audio diaries, Tessany Evans and Declan James and whoever else may jump on that ship. That's it from us from here. For everyone who's been listening to us so far, really appreciate you guys. Uh, you can check us out on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Don't keep it to yourself. You know, you can share it with your friends. It's uh, these all these things are better off being shared, anyways. Uh, we're going to cover every round here at the Manchester Open, so uh, watch out for daily or sorry, daily or roundly, roundly shows. Beauty. Beauty. <laughs> <laughs> I miss squash.